0: All right, let's pray, and we'll get rolling. Sarah! All right, Lord, we love you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, bringing us all here together, God. We uh, just want to come and give you uh, praise and glory for... um, just for what you, you've you done for us, God, as we celebrate your your resurrection this morning and, uh, and, and what that means in our lives, God, we, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just open our eyes to see what your word has for us today, both in Sunday school and in service. Uh, even tonight, God, as we just uh, already look forward to what you're going to do. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just let your spirit fall in this place. There's going to be a lot of people here that probably don't come often, and we just pray, God, that you would uh, move in their hearts and 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 bring your bring them into your kingdom. We thank you for that and we love you in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Hey, uh we're going to uh I guess we'll I guess we're in Acts 9, right? I was going to stop and do like the resurrection thing, but I was, I, I was thinking we probably just need to keep going with what what we got going on. And while I while I see you Ellie, we probably won't have no <laughs> piano today cuz it's Easter. Okay? probably have, I got family stuff, I'm sure you do too. Um, So in Acts chapter 9, what we're going to do, what we talked about last week, we talked about Acts chapter 9, the first part, we're going to start in like verse 20, what, 20, 21? Uh, Last week we saw Saul of Tarsus, right? Somebody give me a quick overview. What happened? Oh, come on. Really? Y'all gonna make me talk the whole time without saying nothing? Sarah, was you paying attention last week? I wasn't here last week, but I don't know what happened to him. Okay, what happened to him? Um, he persecuted the uh, Christians, and he got blind on the road to wherever. And yes. He uh, is it Barnabas? Stuff? No, we're not that far yet. He was blinded, he was converted. It was Ananias that came to him, laid hands on him, prayed for him uh, so if you weren't here, sarah i 'll give you the heads up. He was definitely a persecutor of the church he He was uh, you, you can 't overstate how bad he was they were they were terribly afraid of him uh, he was like uh He was the Adolf Hitler of the church persecutors. You know, like, even the the chief priests and the high priests and all them, even even those guys, even, y'all come on in. Hey, Donna, Donna Kelly. Donna Kelly, everyone. so uh, he was like, he was the Adolf Hitler of the persecutors of the church. Uh, even the chief priests, they, they were like, they were all for it, but they wasn't really going to get out and do anything. He was the one going door to door. He was the one seeking letters to to do all these things. And so we saw last week he, he got converted. He was converted. Uh, light came from heaven, you know, knocked him down in the middle of the road on the way to Damascus, changed him, uh, blinded him. He was uh, had had to go to this, this house and God sent Ananias there to, to pray for him and he was converted, his eyes were open and he dwelt there. What we're going to see today is very, it's very important in, the, in your lives as far as being converts, being people who've trusted Christ uh, because what you're going to see here today is the effect. That, that conversion has on a person. Now, it was a bad person, you know. Saul was terrible, he was a terrible guy. And so when you see the change that happens in Saul, you can get a, a little sense about the change that goes on in uh in everyone. So, what what I'm trying to say is that uh the things that we're gonna see of Saul of Tarsus here are the same things that should be taking place in your life. They're the same things that, hey Tammy, they're the same things that uh, that happen to every convert. Hearts are changed, and the effects that you see in Saul's life are the effects that you see in every convert's life. And so, uh, you, the first thing you're going to see is. Um, Saul takes the immediate opportunity to be a witness. Remember when Jesus said way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the world, uh, other parts of the earth. Um, Saul immediately, immediately after his conversion, immediately after he receives sight, immediately he seeks fellowship with the disciples, and he starts preaching. He starts witnessing. He starts testifying to uh, what he's seen and what he's heard. In verse 20 it says, and straightway he preached, straightway means immediately. That word means immediately. It says straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he, is, uh, that he is the son of God. Now, the first thing that you notice is that, how y'all doing? Good, how you doing? Pretty nice good, you? very good, thank you. Uh, is that he is an observable transformation. I mean, this guy went from murderer of the Christians to preacher of Christ. I mean, immediately uh, all of the knowledge that he had, all his Old Testament knowledge. Remember, Paul was real educated, very highly educated. All of that really came together uh, when, when he understood that Christ was who he said he was and that he had risen from the dead. And so <clears throat> all that kind of Came together, and he was able to. He was able to start preaching that. He was able to go and to talk to the people that uh, were the Jewish people in the synagogues and, and all those kind of things, and to tell them that Jesus was the fulfillment. Uh, incidentally, this really don't have anything to do with the text, but this is it, it's good incentive. It's a good proof, uh, so to speak, for why we just over and over again embed bible verses in in our children and you know because uh, Paul probably saw here he he didn't usually you don't usually the, you get saved on Tuesday. You don't start preaching on Wednesday. You know, what I mean, usually there's a time where you start, you learn, and you're discipled. And we're going to see that Saul is discipled. Barnabas is going to take him here later in this chapter, and he's going to disciple him a little bit. And some of that was going on, but Saul already had this foundation of Scripture under him. Just to be a Pharisee, you had to have memorized. I'm talking about memorized the Torah, which is the first five books: Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. I'm missing one. Leviticus. Leviticus, Yeah. Uh, you had to can you imagine memorize, just memorize Genesis? I mean, by itself, that is a feat in itself. But he, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the Torah, the first five books. And so he had this foundation under him. And when, when it came, when the Holy spirit entered him, when he was born again by the spirit of God, uh, all that was already laid and it just, it just kind of sent him right on his path. Uh, I can remember Remember in my own life, I, I I quit doing all my stuff, all the bad stuff, well, not all the bad stuff, but you know what I mean. That lifestyle, years. I mean, it was three or four years that I just studied the Bible and I knew my answers were there, but I was lost. I wasn't saved, wasn't born again, and I was just learning stuff to be learning stuff. And when when Christ saved me. Uh, I mean, I didn't start preaching the next day or anything like that, but uh, all of that just kind of came together. And so sometimes it's it's easy, especially with you guys that have kids or you work with kids or, or whatever. You have grandkids or neighbors' kids or whoever. It's easy to think that it's easy to think that well, you know, I'm not, it's not really doing no good just making them go to church and making them. Do, no, it most certainly is because that's building the foundation. You don't know when they're thirty-six years old and decide, and that's when Christ saves him saves them you know you you understand that the, all of that that they've known all that they've learned all that's been put in their head all that's been put in their heart that comes together into a foundation under them and they start walking in it's like the the missing puzzle piece is finally there and you can see the whole picture and so he, this is what was going on with Paul he had all this stuff already I mean he had he still needed discipleship he still needed to learn he still had things it's gonna say in here that he was he grew stronger as he went along, but all of this was all of this was already cemented in him before uh, Christ saved him and when Christ came, the messiah uh, he realized Jesus was the messiah it all just filled in the blanks all of these prophecies he'd known, all these scriptures he 'd memorized, all these things he had learned it it just kind of all came together, and he started preaching that jesus is is the Son of God, and so in verse twenty-one, uh, when it, when we read, uh, where am I at? Oh, verse twenty-one. But all that but all that heard him were amazed. And said, it's not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto, unto the chief priest. The first thing that you see is Paul's, I mean, it's an observable transformation. It's not that he, he became a good guy. What you see is Christ's power is displayed. I mean, you see Jesus's power to change somebody. Uh, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing to the people. Uh, I can imagine that the, they were a little scared of the guy. I mean, he, he might have looked like you know he was kind of sneak in, you know, be a spy or something like that. But it amazed them. Uh, it, he wasn't just saved. He wasn't just have a have a sign around his neck saying, "Hey, I'm forgiven now." He was actually changed, changed from the core of his his being his plan was to come to damascus and to to Arrest people and kill people and God overcame his plan God overcame his will Um, it's really unbelievable that this could happen if God could save a person like Saul who was a murderer of Christians a hater of the church uh, he was I mean he was the number one persecutor the one the whole church was scared of God could save that man he could save anybody. I mean, I don't care what you did yesterday. I mean, you could be the worst. I mean, just think of something so awful, you know, like, I don't know, whatever, you know, child molestation or something. I don't care what you did yesterday. God can save you today. And remember, God saved Saul and Saul wasn't investigating to see if it was true. He wasn't checking this Jesus out. He wasn't doing... Saul was on his way to do evil. I mean, big time evil. And God just knocked him down and turned him 180 degrees. I mean, it was powerful. It was like Jesus appeared to him, bang, knocked him to the ground, blinded him. Three days later, Ananias comes, Holy Spirit comes into Saul, and he's a changed man. Imagine, so many people today think that it should work like this. Uh, Jesus appears to Saul, knocks him down and says, Now Saul... You need to straighten all this mess up, and then come back to me, and then I'll, you know, I'll accept you. That's not how Christ works. It's not how He worked in the Old Testament. It's not how He worked in the New Testament. It's not how He works today. If I could straighten up all my stuff, I wouldn't need a Jesus. I wouldn't need a Savior. So, right in the midst, I'm talking about. Remember the text we read last week that said, while Saul was breathing out murder and and slander against the church, that's when Jesus saved him. He's right in the midst of the worst possible sin you could think about. That's when Jesus saved him. And so the transformation that he made was not Saul cleaning up his life and trying to do better and all those kind of things. Saul's heart was changed from the very inside in inner core of his being. He became a new creature. He became a new man. He became a new person. The old was passed away and all things have become new. And so, if God can save, if God, and He does save, if He can save somebody like that, uh, He can save anybody. I mean anybody. And so, yeah. Is there any comments? I'm sitting here just rattling on. Y'all want to say anything? Nothing. Say amen. amen. Okay. Thank you. At least I know you're breathing. You think Jason, you see people just stuff. just knock them down and Why doesn't he? Yeah. Man, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I I wonder sometimes. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had. You see the people that how they really love the Lord and all of a sudden they just have doing such and such why he just don't move yeah attention for, for a week you know oh and yeah he does that in some cases you know because you'll see people just lay on their back for a week and they, day like, hey, all I can do is look up God that's right that's right and I wonder why people why he don't do it more you know, but I also look at it Saul. like this if he can and he did with him changing soul Saul he was, you know, like you said, he was kind of the Adolf Hitler of that time. With him changing Solly, it, it kind of gives you a hope of if he can save that, and I know he can save me. You know. Oh what I yeah. Mean? Yeah. And and we talked about that last week that we we're really just as bad as Saul. Uh I don't say that for you to think, Whoo, at, at least I'm not as bad as the, the truth is that we're all that bad. I mean we, we have a tendency to look at each other and go, Well, at least I ain't doing what that guy's doing, you know. But that really is not biblical. You know. God sees you I mean, think about I've said this before and y'all probably heard it. God sees you as either one hundred percent righteous in Christ or he sees you as zero. I mean, there's no... Well, Jason's about 65%, so he's above half. He's doing... That is not biblical at all. You're either perfect in Christ or you have zero righteousness. It's one or the other. He'll either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, not because you were so good, but because Jesus was good and took your place. Or he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. So this this idea that we have, you know, where you could look at Saul, I I, I want to say that he was that bad because you need to know that God saves the worst of the worst but the reality is that all our sin is I mean if you counted up just the sins that you've committed since you got out of bed this morning would be enough to send you to hell for eternity and so the the, the reality is that you're either 100% righteous in, righteous in him because he is standing in your place or you're zero there's no such thing is, well, I'm doing better than I used to do. You know, that may be true, and you may be doing better than you used to do, but in God's eyes, He, he, he doesn't take anything less than perfection, and His Son was the only one that was perfect. So we need Him to take our place. Okay? Alright, so the first thing you see is that He was transformed. That happens with every convert, with every believer in Christ. You cannot trust in Christ and not be transformed. Now, does that mean that you're going to go preaching tomorrow or something? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that your heart is transformed to love God and to follow Christ. It's as simple as that, 100%. And uh, verse 22, we're going to see that he increased in strength. It says, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. This is the Messiah is what he was, he was proving. He increased in strength. If you are changed by Christ... You will grow in Christ. You will grow in the Lord. He was growing in his understanding. Uh, of course, he was growing in his faith in Jesus. He was, he was, he was growing in his strength as he led people to Christ and as he was preaching Christ and as he was starting to see Christ in the scriptures and he was, he was, uh, uh, you know, confounding these people that were arguing with him. Uh, so the you cannot be. You cannot be a convert to Christianity. you cannot be born again and not be growing okay that is a that is it's the fruit of the spirit that lives inside of you now you can look at your life and if you're a believer you're always going to be your own worst critic you're going to think well I'm just oh I can't believe i'm doing it. but um Other people can see growth in your life. They can see uh, growth happening. It rarely happens as fast as you want it to happen, especially if you have a heart that desires Christ, desires to live for him and to do his will and to follow him. It rarely happens as fast as you want, but it always there is no life where there is no growth. Okay? The, if you want the big theological terms, it's justification is when you're saved. Sanctification is growing in holiness. If you are not growing in holiness, then you've never been justified. You've probably heard Brother Eddie say it like this. If you've ever been saved, then you're being saved. And if you're not being saved, then you've never been saved. That's the way, that's the way he says it. And that's absolutely correct. That's biblical. And so even Saul, this person who had all this foundation, had all this learning, had all this knowledge, he was growing in the strength. He was growing in the Lord. He was growing in his faith, growing in his understanding. The smartest guy does not win the argument. Okay, never ever think that. Paul was one of the smartest people that ever lived on the planet, and he was probably an accomplished debater. He could probably, you know, argue somebody, you know, under the carpet. But arguments, winning arguments, doesn't win people to Christ. Uh, Sometimes it's good to defend the faith. We're supposed to defend, you know, what's been delivered to us once for all. Uh, But it's only the Spirit of God that moves in somebody's heart that brings them into the faith. Does that make sense? I can't argue you in. I can't convince you. I can't can't give you enough... uh, Facts and figures and teachings and all these kind of things to convince you that Jesus is who he said he is and that you should follow him. Uh, You could you could be convinced of that in your mind and still not be a Christian because the Holy Spirit hasn't filled your heart. You haven't been born again. Does that make sense? So Paul could have just took off. And with all his knowledge, with all his understanding of the scripture, just started arguing, debating, started uh, telling the people in the synagogues how wrong they were that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, And and he did, in fact, do that. But it was the spirit of God that was preaching through him because he was growing. He was being strengthened in the in the ministry that was given to him. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Don't ever think, don't ever think that if I just learn enough about all this, I'll be able to, I'll be able to win people for Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. It happens by you simply giving your testimony of what Christ has done and combining that with the gospel—the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. When you speak that gospel, I like to say, I man, I'm taking way too much time, but I like to say it's, it's like handing, handing out lightning rods in a thunderstorm. You know, you're handing out the lightning rod, which is the gospel. And you don't know where lightning is going to hit, but you know that it's going to hit that rod. And so you know you're just giving the gospel. This guy rejects it. You give the gospel, this guy rejects it. You give the gospel, this guy rejects it. And it's tempting for us to start thinking, I must be doing something wrong. I mean, I must be doing something wrong, but that's not the case. The gospel has two functions. And a lot of times we miss this. The go- I don't know, I'm going way off in a rabbit hole here, but the gospel has two functions. It will even either save or it will judge and God uses it for both the word of God when it goes out will never return void it will either save those that uh, accept it or it will judge those who reject it and so it's as simple as that so today if I give Dean the gospel and Dean says that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard leave me alone uh, God will use that and when Dean stands for God he'll say you had the gospel." you you received it and it was told to you you rejected it and he'll use that as judgment and so um all we're to do is to be obedient we're to be obedient and if you if you witness to a hundred people and ninety nine of them tell you to go take a flying leap uh, then you are you are just as successful as you know Billy Graham at Billy Graham Crusade you are only called to be obedient and you are to leave the results to Christ one guy waters one guy plants but it's God who gives the increase That's right. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so he's strengthened. Now, uh, if you're a believer, you will be transformed. We saw that. You will be growing in Christ. We saw that. And in verse 23 24, you will be persecuted. That was that's the next thing that we see after and after that many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. Okay, now Paul, now Saul's making a big stink about this Jesus, so we're gonna get rid of him too. But they're laying, but they laying a weight was known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, let him down by the wall in in a basket. And so, if you live, a, everyone who desires to live a godly life, this is Bible verse says will be persecuted everybody you don't have to go preaching if you desire to live uh, a holy life before God you will be persecuted it's as simple as that uh, the natural man does not like the things of Christ he does not put up with the things of Christ uh, he loves he loves to bring others into his misery you know what I mean if uh, if, if somebody says just example this is real-life example somebody says hey we're gonna have this thing and uh, and you're invited and you say Say you say, well, I really can't that's not my thing, you know, I'm kind of a Christian. I can't I can't really do that. And they say, Oh, you think you're better than me? Mr. Holier Than now, Mr. Better. Bang. See you see you see you come with me and do what I do, and it makes me feel better about what I do. I know that what I'm doing is a uh, is, is shameful. I know what I'm doing is against Christ, but if you stand against it, if you stand to live holy, you will be persecuted. Thankfully, we're blessed here that uh, persecution here entails basically getting made fun of. But there's going to come a day when it'll be much greater than that, and already in other parts of the world, it's much greater than that. People are having to stand and stand. And, and, and you know decapitated and all, all kind of things go on and so you'll always be persecuted uh, it challenges your life live being lived for Christ challenges other people even if you never open your mouth just the fact that you live for Christ will challenge people about the way they live and people don't like that they, they get angry they get you know it, it's just a fact it's just a fact that's just the way it happens And so Saul here has become like Stephen he's ticking people off in the first thing they want to do is they want to kill they want to kill him and um Verse 25 said, I'm trying to hurry. Oh, that's where we just read he's let down in a basket. Um, Sometimes, uh, well, there's another passage where Paul speaks about this event and he kind of gives details that are not mentioned here. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 31, 32, 33, around there. I'm not going to spend time on that because we're running out of time, but you can look at those and if you have any questions, I'd love to explain those. But he's become, he's become, a Christian. Saul has become, truly become a Christian. And Saul has desired to, to, to be with those. I mean, remember, he came to Damascus to kill these people. And God changed him, and then he became part of these people. And so we see Saul becomes part of the church here. Now we're going to see he, he's running for his life, but now we're going to see how the church accepts Saul. He, he He's running for his life, and he goes to Jerusalem. And this is, this is huge right here in verse 26. It says, okay, he's let down. He's running from Damascus. It says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, which means he desired, to join himself to the disciples. But they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. The first thing that he does when he gets to Jerusalem is what? He desires to have fellowship with the believers. I mean, can you imagine? Now, remember, Saul came from Jerusalem. Saul was the one kicking in the doors in Jerusalem and arresting people in Jerusalem and having people killed in Jerusalem. The people, the church in Jerusalem knew Saul better than the people in Damascus knew Saul. They knew who he was. They knew what he was, you know, what he had done. They probably had family members that had either died or been imprisoned at his hand. And here he comes back. Can you imagine what dude is thinking as he strolls back into the city, thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna try to seek fellowship with these guys, you know, that I persecuted, that I killed, that you know, people's families that I separated and put in in jail and all those things. Can you imagine if it was me, I would not have even attempted to have fellowship with them. I would have went and hid somewhere and hope they don't find me in the city. He just narrowly escaped getting killed in Damascus. But do you see the heart of a person that's been changed? He desires to have fellowship with the believers in Jerusalem. Even though he know. I mean, he's got to know that they are not only going to be afraid of him, but hate him. Uh, hold the fact that he's probably persecuted some of their family or some of them. But the heart that's been changed by Christ desires fellowship. Man, it was taking a risk, don't you think? It was taking a risk for him to to fellowship with them believers, Uh, and it was taking a risk for them to fellowship with him. And it was a risk they weren't willing to take, wasn't it? They said they didn't believe. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Now remember, Paul hadn't been preaching for just a couple of weeks. You know, Paul just you know people show up and they'll say, hey, I've been converted, and then a week later they're back to whatever. I mean. It had been three years. It had been three years that Paul he had gone off. He converted in Damascus. He'd been preaching in Damascus. He went off to Arabia. That's in Second Corinthians eleven. You can read that? He came back to Damascus. That whole time preaching three three years. He had been following Christ, and he comes back to Jerusalem, and they uh, they were scared of him. What do you think about this? It really gets me about folks that don't desire fellowship. Today when I mean you ain't Saul you hadn't persecuted nobody and nobody's persecuted you like Saul I mean somebody might have took your butter beans out of the fridge or something but you know nobody's persecuted you like Saul persecuted the folks uh, why do you think Saul desired to have fellowship with these believers he didn't go straight to the Apostles. He went to the church. He just went to whatever church. He went to the disciples, it says. And he desired to have fellowship. Why do you think he desired to have fellowship with him? Well, he sure didn't want to be with the people that he was with before. Well, he definitely didn't. He definitely didn't want that. Oh, well, wouldn't it be with Christ in your heart if you wanted you your fellowship with him? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think so. It tells us in Scripture... Um, I, that's one of my things and y'all, y'all that know me know that so I don't have to I'm probably preaching to the choir but I can't understand I mean I can't understand people that don't desire to fellowship with others with believers uh, yeah is it messy Do are believers sinners just like everybody else yeah yeah of course you're going to get hurt absolutely every time but I I can't understand that. You know, I can't understand that. But you also have a longing to want to be with people that love Christ the way you do. Yeah, absolutely. We're united with Christ. And so we're united with the people who are united with Christ. We're part of the same part of the same body. You know, if you love duck hunting. You're going to want to get around somebody and talk about duck hunting. You know I mean? If you love if you love Christ, you're going to want to get around someone and talk about Christ. Because when you go, if you, you love Christ and you're with a bunch of people that you don't, you feel awful like you can't be in that situation. So you're going to want to be the believer so that you, know, you feel the love of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... It's like being yourself, you know? It's hard to be around people when you can't be yourself. Uh That's probably not a great example because you need to be yourself all the time, especially in the world. But I'll give you an example. At the hospital, it's a county-owned hospital. It's not a private organization, and so it's government-owned. And you have to be—I have to be real careful about how I approach things— you know, if somebody asks me or if some like I ain't I'm preaching it, I'm I'm praying in Jesus name if I come to pray for you. And when that gets where I can't do that, then I'll just quit. You know, but there, you can't walk in talking about, you know, or, you know, you going to hell. If you don't, it, it's probably not best to bust into somebody's room that way. You got to be careful. And do it in love and all that kind of thing. I'm not saying change the message, but it's always a fine line. Somebody called last week and their loved one was in a hospital room. And they were like, they don't know Jesus. I need you to go save them. And I'm like, no pressure, you know. So, okay, I go in. And number one, I can't say, your loved one told me you're lost and on your red hell. Um. You know, I can't do that. And so what I have to do is I have to go in and, you know, I have to kind of ease my, yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, whereas if I didn't work there, I would just walk in and say, your sister called. She's worried about your salvation. Let me talk to you. You know, what I mean, I wouldn't have no problem. And, you know, when that gets to where I, when, when that gets to where I think that I can't operate, you know, I'll just be out the door. But it, it's, it's it's always toeing the line. It's always tiptoeing around. It's always making sure that, you know, and, and it's just relaxing to get here and say, you know, I just, y'all know me. I just say whatever I want, you know, I just, whatever. And, and you know, I, sometimes it hurts people's feelings, but I, I try to make it always the truth. And it's always good It's being yourself. It's like, um, you know, uh, me and Dana had this conversation where, you know, you get out in. I should not be telling you all this. <laughs> no, but but you get out in, especially like you know, I had a couple funerals this week, and you know, working at a hospital, and then had to be with some families, and and you get get out in. You're there as a representative of Christ and of Christ Church, and you're there, you know, and you you got to put the smile on, and you got to, you know, when somebody says, you know, uh, you know. They say something that you just want to backhand them for. You just got to smile and say, "Oh, that's you know, whatever." And then, but when you get home, you're like, "Man, my compassion is sore. I've been using it today. You know what I mean? I just want to sit here. You know, I, I, don't make me smile. What am I smile? I've, I've spent my smile all day. I just want to relax. You know what I mean? And that's what it's like being with people that know Christ. You you can just be yourself. We can talk about Jesus. We can rejoice in what He's done. You don't have to put on no deal. You don't have to worry about somebody getting mad. You don't have to worry about, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if any of that made sense at all. I mean I can think uh right now in my mind I'm thinking, yeah, but you know, and I I can think of some examples and some some other things. I was just gonna say it's just like being home. Yeah. It's like being home, sitting in the, recliner, in the recliner in your tidy whities. It's just comfortable. No, I wasn't thinking that. No, okay. <laughs> that's right. All right, so. Jason, looks like I've gotten an invitation this year for my 40th class You know, if that how old I am? 20. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I thought you were going to say, I sit in my tidy whities all the time. <laughs> I'm going to hurt him. <laughs> the first night, it's going to be at the winery. Oh. And the, I ain't going. The winery? in Is there a, In Jackson? I'm both oh, okay. It's $65 just to get in. Woo! $65 just to get in. Now, the next morning, the ones that can make it are going to have Breakfast. <laughs> they won't make it. <laughs> They're not going to make it. And then, that, and then that night, it's at the country club, and I ain't going. <clears throat> you just going to breakfast. I might not go that <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's hard to walk off, and while I'm while I'm thinking, while this is all turning in my brain, I'm thinking, you know, but we're called to go and be a witness and to be ourselves, so I recognize that. I'm not saying that, but it sure is a whole lot easier when everybody's a believer, and you know, you're just fellowshipping, and it's just a whole lot relaxing, you know what I mean? I don't know if that even makes sense. It may not. The more I think about it, I may think something else, but that's just what I'm thinking. The disciples were afraid of him. They weren't willing to take the risk. What were they afraid of? <laughs> afraid he was going to kill them. Afraid that he was a spy. Afraid that uh, he was uh, not. He was playing possum with them or whatever. Um, and so they were. It was a risk. It was a risk that they. Um, there's a risk that they weren't willing to take. Does the church do that sometimes? Yeah. Today? You know, guy walks in. He, he, probably not going to kill you, but I'm just not willing to risk myself to fellowship with that person. I'm not willing to risk the hurt. I'm not willing to risk the the, the pain. I'm not willing to risk the the energy, the energy it's going to take to fellowship with that person. You know, that's what's going on here. They they weren't willing to take the risk on Saul. Now, they, remember, now, it, there's a fine there's balance to be had here. I'm not saying just go, you know, because some people come in and they they just want your money or they want your whatever and they play the system. But Saul had been preaching for three years now. This ain't like he, he'd been a convert for two days. And for three years, he had expended his his energy, his time, his life to go to Arabia to come and preach in Damascus. Was almost killed by the Jews in Damascus. All this is going on, and they were like, "It's just not worth the risk." This this one soul, this one person, Saul of Tarsus. It's not worth risking me putting myself out there. It's not worth risking the pain of going through something. Is that a hand, Billy? You want to say something? Yeah. Okay. Huh? I make a little thing like you. Yeah, like yeah. if they let him in, he'd turn on them, be a spy or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they were. And remember. This is the guy, these people were disciples in Jerusalem. This is the guy that kicked in their doors and took their family members away. And, cause they probably were thinking, you know, I still ain't forgiven you for what you did to my uncle Bobo last year or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> And so they were holding things against him. They were not willing to take the risk that it was to uh, to uh, to to let him in their fellowship. And we do the same thing today. We do the exact same thing. It's so much easier if it's just us and no more. It's so much easier if we just hang with who we know and don't worry about fellowship with all these other people. I'm not getting involved in any, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in my green chair. I'm going to listen to the music. I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to go home. I'm going to mind my own business. It's so much easier to do that. There's no risk involved. There's nothing that you have to worry about. You won't never get hurt because you won't never be involved. But understand that Paul's Saul's heart wouldn't allow him to do that. He desired fellowship with them even though he knew it was going to be a hard sell, and they weren't willing to take the risk. But there was one man that was willing to take the risk, and his name, his name was Barnabas. Look at verse 27. I'm probably not even going to get through with this chapter. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles. What a risk that was. He didn't just take him to the disciples. He took him to, he actually just met with Peter and with James. Those were the only two. We see that in Galatians. Paul tells us that. But he took them to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Who was telling the apostles about what Saul had done? Was it Saul telling them? No, it was Barnabas telling. What does that tell you? Barnabas at one point may have heard him. Yeah. Barnabas had to have spent some time with him. Barnabas had to have heard his testimony. Barnabas had to have invested... Some time and energy into this man of Saul, Saul, and heard his conversion story, heard his testimony, uh, and done all those things. And and Barnabas took the risk. You imagine, you imagine what the church would have thought of Barnabas if Saul would have turned out to be a spy and killed Peter right on the spot when he saw him. Barnabas not only took the risk of his own reputation, his own life. I mean, he was he was risking everything. And remember, he wasn't risking it on some dude that he didn't know. Paul had been preaching for three years, so this is a guy whose conversion is well attested. His ministry is well attested. This is not like, hey, I'm going to get saved, you know, and the guy that's been trying to kill the church is like gets saved, and ten minutes later he goes and meets the apostles. Uh, Barnabas had fruit to look at. He had a life. To look at, he had a ministry to look at, and he chose to invest himself in Saul and take Saul to the apostles so that Saul would be accepted by the church. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? That'd like me bringing Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be it would be exactly like that. I mean, it would be. It would be like a dude walked in. You know, somebody asked me the other day about shootings that go on, the shootings that have gone on the past year in in churches, different places. It would be like a guy walking in with AK-47 and shooting some people. God forbid that happened. uh, And then going to jail, being converted three or four years, five years, ten years later comes out and then somebody bringing him back into church and saying he's been saved, he's a Christian now, he wants to give his testimony when the families of the people that he killed are still in the building. Now, can you imagine that? Does that that kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. You would be like, I'm not sitting in there with that. You know, I mean, what you may or may not, but it would be that kind of it would be that kind of situation. Saul had persecuted the church. He had persecuted the people. He had killed people that were members of the church, and their families were still there in Jerusalem. It only been three years, and so when he came back, they were terrified. And Barnabas was the only one that took him and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna take you. I'm gonna take you to the apostles, and we're gonna, we're gonna get this." We're going to get this solved. And he told him his testimony and all that. Real quick, um, the same thing that happened in Damascus happened in Jerusalem. He Once he started preaching, uh, it says, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 29, and disputed against the Grecians. These are the same people that killed Stephen, by the way. The Grecians, Hellenistic Jews. Uh, but they went about to slay him. They went to kill him too. Which, when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Okay, so once again persecution comes. Once again, he's saved by the people that he used to persecute. They sent him to Tarsus, which was his, which his hometown. Saul of Tarsus. I love this next verse. I don't know whether it fits in the previous paragraph or the one after it, but I like it with the previous verse. Thirty-one says, "Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea after what? After they got rid of Saul." It was like he was he was such an in-your-face preacher. He was such an in-your-face in the synagogue, you know. preaching boldly. People were just, how dare you? And I mean, they finally said, look, we're going to put you in a boat. We're going to send you back to your house, man. We're going to send you back to your hometown. And then when they sent him off, it said then the church had peace throughout Judea. Really what we're talking about here is the persecution that began with Stephen's death ended as Paul went, went home to Tarsus. And we're going to see him a little later as he picks up at the church in Antioch. Now, Let me finish this. uh, These last two segments in in chapter 9, let me just do them real quick because we need to... Chapter 10 is going to be hard because chapter 10 is one big section with the first 13 verses of 11. So I don't know exactly how I'm going to do that yet. But let me finish this. Now, the focus shifts back to Peter, and it shows two miracles that happen in peter 's life as the church is growing and it has has peace among the people and all those kind of things and so the last two miracles i've got i 've got two minutes to explain this to you. These miracles point back to miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels. Okay? The first one, I'm not even going to read it, but Peter heals uh, Aeneas, and this guy is paralyzed, which points back to the guy who was let down through the roof. You remember that guy? Yeah. Some of the same things are said here. Jesus healed that guy. Peter comes and says, Jesus Christ heals you, and he's healed. Okay? And so he says the same thing Jesus says to the paralyzed man that was let down through the roof. Peter says, to this guy. He says, pick up your bed and walk. And so you see Jesus' ministry going on through Peter. And then the next one is Tabitha. She dies uh, just like the Jairus' daughter in the gospel dies. And so uh, they bring Peter to the bedside. Uh, they show Peter all the good work. She's a model Christian. She had been making clothes for widows and all these things are in the text. Just read it when you get home since we have to hurry. But uh, Peter raises her actually Christ raises her from the dead through Peter and, uh, and what's instrumental, what's instructive for me is uh, he says Tabitha arise, that was her name Tabitha arise, now in uh, Jairus' daughter in the in the uh, the miracle that Jesus did with Jairus' daughter, I think it's Mark chapter, uh, I got it wrote down somewhere, Mark chapter 2 no, it's Luke chapter 8 um, he says Jesus says, uh, it's in there it says Talitha Kumi, which is Aramaic for little girl arise. And it tells you that in the text. Well here Peter says Tabitha Kumi, if he's speaking Aramaic which is one letter different. And so the two miracles that you see here are, it's almost a, a recapitulation of what Jesus is doing, has done in previous. So you see the ministry and the work of Christ continuing through the church. Does that make sense? I know that was real Quick because we run out of time. If you got any questions, just text me or call me and we'll do chapter 10 next week, okay? All right. Lord, we love you and thank you. Thank you for this uh, section that you've given us, God. We pray that you would be with us through service and that you would uh, help us to do your will. We love you and we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday that we get to be with you and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.